The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. Power of water is our theme and our mission of this show for going on almost seven years. The power of water on this planet and the water that you're living in, the air you you breathe, that breath of life, that air, is swimming, you're swimming in water. That, it's a water vapor. The influence of that water vapor brought water, fresh water, to the surface of the earth for you to have an influence of fresh water and to live. And without it, you won't live. The water vapor is what's keeping you alive. There is fresh water on the surface of our, our earth to be able to assist keeping the water vapor alive. It has to come together, and for all life on earth to be able to breathe the water for the organs of your life, to be able to absorb, be flexible, detoxify, and be healthy, you must breathe clean, fresh moisture in the air. And drink 8 to 10 glasses of water, fresh water, no added ingredients a day. Now, I've told you that. I'm going to tell you about the U.S. population. It grew 41,831 people grew it grew to that amount last week, the last two weeks, I should say. So now in the United States, the, the population is 317,131,599 people. That is what we, we must have water for every single life to live. In the world population, it grew 1,484,075 people on, on the globe sharing all this fresh water. It's 7,126,607,539 people. That happened last week. So when you think about the growth of water, how much we all need water for uh, the clothing manufacturing, for your production of food, the agriculture, for you to take a shower, for you to flush the toilet, uh, for you to get that 8 to 10 glasses of water a day and then to influence the world's water in the air to be able to breathe. We must protect the water. Now, I'm moving on, and each week I will be telling you these reports. We got reports, and we're going to list this on our website, a water war. There's anticipated that Ethiopia's new dam could mean a crisis in Egypt. 
what is what is going to be more important than oil and gold and anything else? Water. Water wars in, in Africa are, have always been going on. And by the way, they've been going on in Ethiopia too. In in India, there's going to be a water crisis with with the problems of what is happening between India and China with water because India is having a crisis with water. Here in the United States, Georgia is having a problem with water. So the coming problems of the Georgians with water is coming along with the rivers that are coming in from Florida. So remember, that is in the United States, and it's predicted in the next few years we're going to be 40% less than we need for the population and for what we need for water to be able to, for all of us to be healthy. America is still running out of fresh water. Now, you look out your door and you see the streams of water, you see the rivers, you see the oceans that have taken uh, the, the lower point, uh, the water drainage, but stop and think. Without the power of water, you have no life, and that is going to change the economy, that will change your health, that will change everything. We need to take serious water every single moment of the day, and that water in your air to breathe is vital. If without you having fresh water in the air to breathe, it's that invisible water, you will have symptoms of allergies and Dry air, a dry sky, pardon me, dry eyes, dry skin, the dryness of your body begins to change. Dehydration it happens from the day you're born until the day you pass away. That is our symptom. The show is about that, and we bring on people every week on describing with their backgrounds to give you the education you need, like we're sitting in a little laboratory talking with you to overhear. Today we have Dr. Dwayne Cecil, Ph.D. He's been with NASA, NOAA. He's with Global Science Technology. He is absolutely full of information and will have a lot of fun discussing the um, typhoon that just happened that you're probably wondering about and a lot of the weather changes, the climate changes that are going on in the United States, too. But first we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Ionist. Did you know that at the surface of your eyes is 98% water? And when that eyelid opens, the air you're living in, that invisible water, can absorb if it's healthy and not contaminated. But if it's contaminated with pollution of any kind, it will not absorb to give your eyes the supplement to maintain a healthy vision. But there's nature's tears I missed. It'll supplement. It's the only product like it globally. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. And we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Cecil, are you with us? I am. Well, thank you, because I know you're very busy, and uh, I really appreciate you giving us your time today. Before we begin um, with the subject we're going to discuss, tell our audience about your background because you have a really exciting, committed, experienced background. Okay, be happy to. Well, I spent uh, 31 years in the federal sector working for NASA as a chief scientist of the Applied Sciences Program where we, we tried to show the potential for NASA Earth Science products from satellite observations of all kinds could be used to enhance partners' decision support. So it really was an applied sciences uh, position that I had it with NASA at NASA headquarters. I also spent some time with the U.S. Geological Survey, and the last position I had there was the chief of applied sciences in the Global Change Program, where we were trying to use science information, predominantly in the United States, but we did do some work globally, trying to use um, on-the-ground, in-situ, we call them, observations, um, stream changes in, in stream flow, changes in biodiversity streams, changes in force, those kinds of things. Use that information, again, for decision support. And then my last uh, year and a half in the federal sector, I was the regional climate services director for NOAA, um, the National Oceanic and uh, Atmospheric Administration. And in that position, again, I was uh, connecting the, the research science to decision makers, uh, local water purveyors, energy companies, down to the farmer level and city planners to use weather and climate information to make better informed decisions. Then uh, at the end of 2011, I retired from the federal service and I now work in the private sector for a company called Global Science and Technology. And I'm a program manager and chief climatologist for the company. And we're a, a weather and climate services company. And we provide um, hardware, computer hardware and software and, and data sets uh, to many countries around the world for meteorological weather forecasts and also for climate services. I've been so in that do position. they do that out of that headquarters or do they supply, they, uh, they supply the equipment and the software? We supply the, the hardware and the, and the software and the training to use it, and mm-hmm. we've got about 60 units around the world in developing countries mm-hmm. uh, like Cambodia, Rwanda, um, parts of Southeast Asia, uh, Caribbean Ocean uh, countries, and we provide the, the hardware, software, and training, and we also mm-hmm. hook, hook the systems to the data sets that, that help make the weather forecasts. 
Well, that's why I wanted the audience to hear uh, your background. It's ex- unbelievably experienced and committed. Uh, but before we go on to how did you, when you started out as a young man, uh, was that what you were going to want? What you wanted your education to be and your career to be? Uh, what started you in this? Um, I, I blame it on Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter. I actually started okay. out in in the construction field. I had okay. my own small landscape company, and when President Carter became president, or Jimmy Carter became president, um, you may recall that interest rates on construction loans went into twenty twenty three percent. I do remember well. Well, the mm-hmm. first thing that got cut was landscaping, so I had to find another another career, and I'd always been interested in earth science. Uh-huh. Uh, growing up, and so I went back to university and and finished a uh, earth science training and and started working in the federal sector. So he um, became a PhD. Became PhD. I, I obtained my doctorate in earth science with a focus on on the physics and chemistry of the earth, and I did my work my PhD work in Canada, uh-huh. um, and been working oh about. 36 years now on, on earth science issues and really concentrating on how do we use the, the great wealth and amount of information and data that have been done for research purposes to answer questions of how things work. How do we use that information to make better formed decisions, whether it's somebody reading the newspaper for weather forecasts or it's a farmer planning for the, for the crop next season or it's a city planner that's putting together a plan for the next two, three, five years of of water availability and water quality for a city. Now, how do we use this science information, this science data, to to make better informed decisions? You can't you can't force people to make better decisions, but you can give them the tools and the information to make make better informed decisions. Provide the education. Right. Uh, also, I was talking to somebody recently who I know. Um, you know, we have our airport controller that everybody's so familiar with, but behind the scenes. They have the other scientific um, st- uh, individuals in positions ma- understanding the atmosphere, the weather, what is happening. And uh, I'm sure you're, uh, what you've uh, been doing is also providing them the ability with the equipment to determine what the at- what's happening in the atmosphere when it looks like it's a beautiful day and all of a sudden there's turbulence. Uh, it looks like a gorgeous day and all of a sudden here comes the weather changing uh, around the world. Uh, when airlines, uh, they're flying, the weather can change from spot to spot if they didn't have what's the equipment to understand what is happening in the atmosphere. There could be a lot of trouble, and which was in the old days, they didn't have any data to keep up with. Well, yeah, that's correct. And the in this country, the Federal um, Aviation Administration uh, requires to have that kind of of data collected at the airports, and you'll find that there's some overlap in the federal sector. The National Weather Service, many of their weather forecast offices are located at or near airports for a reason, mm-hmm. so that those weather forecast offices, and there's 122 of these offices around the country, and those offices can provide real-time information to uh, airport management and administrators uh, on, mm-hmm. on what's happening with the weather. But long-term, that kind of information then is turned into a climate record. And that's mm-hmm. what our company is doing right now. I, I'm, I'm stationed at the National Climatic Data Center in Asheville, North Carolina, and, and we are helping the government put a system in place to routinely take weather 
and satellite observations and these ground observations across the land masses and turn those into climate data records for, again, for decision support and for not mm-hmm. just understanding the science of how, how the climate and weather patterns are changing. And we don't try to get at the reasons are changing. We just try to get at, at the changes and, mm-hmm. and provide information to get at, at what kinds of changes are happen, happening mm-hmm. and then provide that information to, to all kinds of decision makers. But you're very well understand. You do understand what some of the why why it is changing. Also, um, uh, and and that's what we're going to discuss here before we go into what happened in the Philippines. Um, you you and I have been on together many times, several times now, and we're calling it a climate change. I think, and rather than global warming, are you still there with climate change rather than global warming? Um, I'm. I'm I'm actually comfortable with with either term, but I think mm-hmm. especially in the United States that that some discussions on climate change can be made if you start the conversations. And I've told you this many times on the show that uh, when I was the Western Region Climate Services Director, if, if I would go into Western Governors Association meetings, and if I came in talking about global warming, I lost everyone's attention, whether it was Democrat, Independent, Republican, no matter what persuasion the governor was and their staff, I would lose their attention talking global warming. You could talk about something that they're, they're all, they all care about in every one of their states, whether it's a western state or not, and that's water. Mm-hmm. And if I started the conversations about water resources and the availability and quality of water and how those patterns are changing because populations are growing in urban, large urban areas like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Miami, these these places are growing and they're impinging mm-hmm. the water resources in their region. And and if I mm-hmm. if I put it in that context and then talked about weather patterns changing and climate long term climate changing, then you you had their attention. But you always had to start with something that wh- whatever group you're speaking with and trying to to give your experiences to, you have to start with something that's that they understand that's close to them and. So mm-hmm. climate change is a little easier to to talk about, but even even that in this country, you have to. I find you have to start off with. So why mm-hmm. should uh, Farmer Smith in Iowa care about weather and climate patterns changing, and mm-hmm. uh, why should a city planner in Salt Lake City worried about water availability and quality? Why should they weather care about weather and climate changing? So you really have to put it in, in context of of your audience. Well, we're all yeah. If, if we all have our different uh, expertises, and sometimes I find people a little on an ego where they try to fake it, where they understand what you're saying. And it's better that people t- admit, "I don't understand what you're saying. Could you explain that to me?" Right. Global warming became confusing. Climate change, people do know it changes, but the effects of water on everybody's life is an impact. And it's been predicted that that will be an enormous economic and and, and impact on human health. Right, right. Um, and the other one I want to talk to you about before we go into, because uh, we're giving them a little education here, getting ready for the the weather changed in, in like Philippines and more, what happened to their impacts. To explain the, the water in the air for me to help me out. Uh, for the atmosphere, to explain the atmosphere, we can talk about water, the word water, on the ground. But there's, we forget, and you and I have really been talking about this a lot lately, is the water in the air that is invisible 
that people didn't relate to. In other words, your governors related to the word water, but their minds were going to the water on the ground, not thinking about the water and the air, the water vapor, the atmosphere as an impact that influences the water on the ground, and the water on the ground influences the vapor and the air that we must stay alive with. Can you explain that to our audience? Uh, it, it is a, it's a very complex system, and, and many of us, including myself from time to time, depending on what data I'm looking at, we forget about all the, the interconnections. And, and the water vapor, and, and you, you said that um, you made a statement that you can't see it. Many times you can, but many times you can't see the water vapor. And the water vapor the the water that's that's in the atmosphere that's not in clouds not precipitation uh rain or snow that water vapor content is is down close to where where everyone lives on and on the continents and on the land masses we don't see any long term changes or trends in 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 that water vapor content but the satellite data in, in the upper atmosphere shows that um, it's decreasing. And so we tend not to, when you look at the big picture, we, we tend to forget about all the way out to the, the top of our atmosphere what's going on with the water vapor. So we are seeing changes. And the, and the precipitation patterns are changing as well. And it's really, really all interconnected and it's all very complicated and it's all related. We come back to climate change as water vapor content of the atmosphere near the land surface where, where we all live, as that water vapor content goes up, the atmosphere, atmospheric temperature goes up as well. It can, it can hold more heat, so the atmospheric temperature tends to rise. And this is um, a part of the greenhouse effect that you hear people talking about all the time with, with carbon dioxide, but it turns out that water vapor is a more efficient greenhouse gas than, than carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. And explain that to them because that is a very important education for people to know that your breath of life is what keeps you alive, that, that water in the air. Can you explain what you just said for them to be um, uh, like they're in a classroom? So you're the professor. Well, there, there are several gases that make up our atmosphere, including the oxygen that we all need. And how, why is that so important? Well, it's, it's important when it comes to climate change because as the, as the sun comes down to the Earth's surface and bounces back into space, some of that heat that's in, in that radiation from the sun does not go back into space. And so the more of these gases, like carbon dioxide and water vapor, that are in our atmosphere uh, tends to trap the heat. It doesn't get back into space. And so as that happens over time, and, and there's some evidence that, that that is happening, we haven't seen heating beyond some natural processes that we see in the geologic record. But in, in recent record, it appears that that atmosphere is, is heating up. And it's heating up because those gases, carbon dioxide, water vapor, trap the heat that, that would otherwise, through natural processes, be, be reflected by the polar ice caps like the Arctic ice cap, the Antarctic ice cap, the Greenland ice sheet, they're white, they reflect the sun back into space, and that heat, some of that heat is being trapped in our atmosphere by these gases, so our our atmosphere is tending to heat up. Mm -hmm. And so over longer periods of time, unless there's some balance between those gases that that are building up 
in the atmosphere because we're burning fossil fuels, gas and oil and, and wood products and putting more and more carbon dioxide into the air, into the atmosphere as the population grows. And so can we pin down that humans are the cause because we're, we're burning carbon sources and building up more CO2 in the atmosphere that, that humans are the cause of the, of the, the warm-up in the atmosphere? Um, there's still some debate on that, the fact that the atmosphere is warming up. There's very little debate about that. Whether it's a natural process or, or a human-made process, the debate is still on. Yeah, I was going to say, Doctor, wouldn't each human being born would add to an atmospheric influence, just their birth? Well, I, I believe that, and, and I really believe it when you talk about the population growing, and, and we're tending more and more and more to not live in rural areas and to live in cities for city services, for food, water, for mm-hmm. education, for entertainment, tending to live more and more in cities. And, and there's evidence and data available that these megacities of 5 million people or more, like, like New York City, like Los Angeles, like Tokyo, like Sao Paulo, Brazil, that the weather and, and the microclimates around these cities are being impacted because there's so many humans that are putting so many things into the atmosphere and into the environment that we are changing um, the weather patterns and, and the microclimate patterns around these larger megacities. Now, some people say on a global scale that really isn't an impact when you when you put that kind of a change into a into global scale. But the data I've been looking at for for nearly 40 years now, um, there's there's some dramatic changes and impacts, and and one of those is I led for 10 years the U.S. Geological Survey mid-latitude uh, glacial research and applications around the world. And so we looked at mid-latitude glaciers, and the mid-latitudes on, on the Earth's surface are where most of us live. Um, most, most of the human population lives in mid-latitudes. And so we would go to high mountainous areas where there were high alpine glaciers, and we'd look at changes in local and regional climate and weather patterns in the signals in the ice cores. And they all point to some pretty dramatic changes. We're, we're losing um, glacial mass, and, and the size of the glaciers are shrinking on a global scale, and that's freshwater, uh, one of the freshwater um, sources that we have, and those are shrinking. The ice caps at both poles. Antarctica is a little bit different. Um, there are certain areas in Antarctica that are actually accumulating more rather than, than losing mass. But as this becomes an energy balance issue or an energy balance equation that we're trying to, to look at, as we, we warm the atmosphere up, the way that the Earth moves that, energy, that extra energy around is by storms. And so some people are claiming that, for instance, we'll get to, this, to what's happened two weeks ago in the Philippines. Uh, some people are claiming that we need to, to take drastic a- action now. We need to address climate change that... This kind of intense storm is a result of, of the climate changing and this, this energy balance in the atmosphere not being um, as it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But there's a lot of evidence that that, that that typhoon that hit the Philippines really is not unusual for the kinds of storms that they've seen in the past. So we'll talk some more about that in a few minutes. But um, So there's there's still some arguments both ways that these extreme weather events like Superstorm Sandy 
that hit New York City and the New Jersey coast last October, and now this typhoon in the Philippines. There's arguments that that's because of climate change and global warming, and then there's data and scientists that say, not, you know, wait a minute, not necessarily. These kinds of storms that happen on the surface of the Earth. Happened with cycles. In cycles, and, and right. my argument, and you've heard me say this before, is that what's cha- what has definitely changed that we have irrefutable data on is the infrastructure, the roads, the buildings, uh, the, the power sources, and the number of people have all increased. So as these storms make landfall, and, and let's get right to the Philippines storm, as Typhoon Haiyan made landfall, and the Philippines has, on average, um, since we've been keeping records, about five storms of this type, maybe not of this, this strength and this size, but they have on average about five storms in a, um, in a typhoon season. So let me explain a little bit about typhoons and cyclones before we okay, before we get into the Philippines. Yeah, okay. So typhoons, cyclones, and hurricanes are all the same. It's the same kind of storm. And depending on which region on the surface of the earth that you're talking about the storm happening, they've been called different things. For instance, a hurricane, are everyone around the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific, the Northeast, East Pacific, which would be off of our coast of Oregon, Washington, the western coast of Canada, Alaska, that area um, calls that area in the Atlantic Ocean, they're called hurricanes. If you take the same kind of storm and put it in the northwest Pacific, which is around Japan, the Philippines, um, part of the Korean Peninsula, China, Russia, some parts of Russia, that storm even though it's the same as a hurricane, that part of the world calls them typhoon. And then if you go to the Southern Pacific and the Indian Ocean, they're called cyclones. But they're really all the same kind of a storm. And, and what... Okay. And, and what, now, I'm going to stop you for a second. Okay, sure. I'm sure that is something no one's ever heard that's a layman. So a hurricane, a cyclone, and a typhoon are all similar enough. It's just what you... What, what, how it's been described. Exactly, for, oh. for where it's happened. And they all have the same ingredients that make the storm up. And, and what is that ingredient? Something? Okay, so the ingredient is some pre-existing weather disturbance that start, starts this. You've got some kind of rainstorm te- or that, windstorm. Would the greatest influence be a temperature change? Well, that's the next one I'm getting to. So Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, that's fine. So you have to have some kind of disturbance that starts this, okay. to build this storm. And you need warm tropical oceans. And so that's yeah. where people, a lot of scientists, and, and a lot of people that take uh, a detailed look at how these storms form, that's where they're saying, well, because of global warming, the sea surface temperatures, the records seems to show that over the last 34 years, 30 to 40 years, the sea surface temperatures globally, all around the world, are increasing. And you have to have warm tropical oceans to set these Mm -hmm. kinds of storms up. So that's one of the ingredients. Mm -hmm. You have to have moisture. Well, you've obviously got that. That's why they form over oceans. They don't form over land. We've got to take a break uh, for our sponsor for a moment. Okay. And then we're going to come back and educate um, this classroom on uh, this is fascinating and I'm sure people are just hypnotized with what you're teaching us so give us a moment don't you go anywhere <laughs> and we're going to be right back 
We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know that your eyes are 98% water at the surface? You need that supplement, like you're brushing your teeth and you put a cream on and you eat food and you have 8 to 10 glasses of water a day and you try to sleep well. Well, guess what? Supplement uh, water misting at the eyes is vital to the health of your eyes. You need that supplementation and maintenance. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist, 100% tissue culture, pardon me, tissue culture grade of water. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Cecil, prior to our uh, listening to our sponsor, you were describing to us that a hurricane, a typhoon, and a cyclone. Is they're also similar. It just depends upon how they're describing it at the moment, and and the impact of we started discussing the temperature of what is happening over the oceans. Now, we, you want to go on with our classroom here and explain what what is happening out there with these changes because we're hearing more about. Maybe it's because we have more communications today to hear about them, better data to hear about them. But what do you think is happening out there that uh, we're, we're hearing more and more uh, of these um, tr- tropical-type storms going on uh, in all parts of the world? Okay, well, let me just back us up just a little bit. That okay. The, really, the only difference between a hurricane, a cyclone, and a typhoon is the location, the location where the storm occurs. Uh-huh. So different parts of the world have experienced and described these storms mm-hmm. and have come up with these names. Okay. So quickly again, the hurricanes are in the Atlantic Ocean and the Northeast Pacific off the western coast of the United States and Canada. And the typhoons are in the Northwest Pacific, Japan, Philippines. That's why this storm was called Typhoon Haiyan. 
Mm-hmm. And then the cyclones are in the South Pacific and in the Indian Ocean, off of Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, the Pacific Islands, Indian Ocean, Australia, New Zealand, those those places. Those are those are the cyclones. And again, quickly, um, they're all the same kind of storm, but they are because formed the influ- because the influence is the temperature is changing out in the ocean. One of the major influences is is the sea surface temperature, the warm warm tropical oceans. And so you have to have moisture, which you have in the oceans. And they actually start out with relatively light winds. Mm-hmm. And so they have to then have some time. And that's where the, the storm in the Philippines had lots of time and lots of ocean to move over as it came from uh, from the, the southeast toward the northwest. As it got closer and closer to the Philippines, it was going over open ocean. And so mm-hmm. the winds got stronger. There was more moisture picked up. And it was going over warm surface, warm temperatures of the of the ocean, and so it picked up more energy and got large. And mm-hmm. so by the time it hit landfall, um, the data aren't all in yet, but it it appears that it it may have been um, one of the strongest, if not the strongest, uh, storm of this type on record. There were winds, gusts of winds in that in that storm over 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And there were sustained winds in that storm of in the neighborhood of 180 to 190 miles an hour sustained. So think about what we see in this country in devastation and tornadoes over the land masses. And we just had a rash of tornadoes a week ago in the United States that right. did lots of damage and took unfortunately took lives. And those tornadoes last a matter of minutes or less when they touch ground before they lose their energy and dissipate. Mm-hmm. So think of that, the kind of energy and destruction that we saw in those short-duration tornadoes that we see often this, this time of year or in the fall in the United States. This storm that hit the Philippines had that kind of energy and lasted for three to four hours mm-hmm. at that intensity. My, and I didn't know it was that long. Just devastating mm-hmm. uh, destruction to, to some oh, of the islands off the Philippines. Yeah. And it's affected over 12 million people, and it's just, it was just an intense, large storm. Mm-hmm. So the arguments some of the scientists are making is that we're seeing these larger storms. This, was, this storm was bigger than Katrina, and we all know the effect that had on our country. Mm-hmm. A, de- a you know, highly developed country, lots of roads and communication, and we couldn't respond to that adequately mm-hmm. you know, some mm-hmm. 1500 people or so lost their lives in this country with that kind of a storm so this mm-hmm. this was a large storm and it had lots of of warm surface temperatures lots of ocean it's called fetch the distance that the storm travels over the the ocean it had a long long distance that it could travel and it built up a lot of energy before um coming in contact with the philippines there was a lot of energy in that storm <coughs> You know, uh, that, uh, the, so the difference between, let's say, a Hurricane Sandy and a typhoon in the Philippines is uh, the, uh, the difference in temperatures possibly over the ocean where one gets more of a magnitude, uh, uh, more impact, uh, more winds. Uh, so that, that's what describes what, it's, what, it's, what it is? Um. No, actually, they're the, they are exactly the same kind of weather phenomena. We just exactly call them. The we, same. Just, we just call them different kinds of names. Now, just call them different things. The difference between some. Uh, I'll give you some of the differences between the intensity and duration of Sandy 
and the intensity and duration of the Philippines already said that, or of, of Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, already said that that was uh, equivalent to being in a tornado, mm-hmm. the energy in a tornado for three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Sandy, uh, when it, mo- mostly when it hit the land, when it hit New Jersey coast and, and New York City, it had become a tropical storm by the time. It, so a lot of the energy had dissipated. And there was torrential rains. But you can imagine if a storm like Haiyan that hit the Philippines had made landfall in the United States where Sandy made landfall in New York City and, and the New Jersey coast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the destruction and devastation and, and loss of life would have been even more than what we're seeing in the Philippines. And it's just unimaginable what's happened to the Philippines. So... You know, we're in in some ways we were fortunate that Sandy was the size it was. However, if you talk to anybody that that lived through that storm and had to respond to that storm, uh, it was it was a devastating event as well. But uh, it was the energy between the two two storms when they made landfall when when Haiyan hit the Philippines versus when Sandy hit the coast of the United States. The energy in the storms was was much different. Now I'm going to. My background is studying the atmosphere, um, and, and, and I'm not going to talk about the organism as a human species. Uh, what, what is affected there with the weather and the and the and the water in the air, the invisible water. When when that those storms begin to uh, become materializing and uh, and become known, is, is, is does the water vapor in the air increase? And uh, by that storm, yes. I mean, yes, they're, they're by picking, the storm, yeah. and it's the temperature that's causing the wa- the water, that invisible water you don't see in the air, to become uh, much larger. In other words, those droplets you don't see, that humidity we don't see, is becoming. Uh, is is it is that the greatest influence, by chance, on what is happening? Um, again, it's the it's the warm ocean temperatures. It's it's actually the energy that's and that would cause the water vapor in the air to get a, a more of an impact. Um, it, again, it depends. Uh, see, okay. that's that's where the arguments. Uh, yeah, we I know. really get it's, into these discussions and arguments yeah. about the effects yeah. of the storm because if if you have a a, a storm like uh, Typhoon Haiyan that hits uh, a landmass where there aren't a lot of people and there aren't cities and, and lots of roads and energy sources, and then it, and it seems like the impacts aren't that great. But then when it does hit a place like it hit in the uh, Tacloban City in the Philippines, you know, there's some 12 million people were affected by that storm. Oh, uh, yeah. Four and a half million people that are homeless, uh, over 5,000 deaths. Mm-hmm. And and you know this was just a, um, a devastating storm because of what was in the way, and that's that's been my argument that we're going to see more and more of this, and we have to be careful. We we just don't have enough data yet to really sit down and 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 analyze the data to say these storms are becoming more frequent, they're becoming stronger because of climate change, and we we just don't have enough information. I I feel when I look at the data that. Climate change is, is is affecting these storms, these extreme events we call them. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the hard science is is still out on whether or not the global warming or the the, the climate change, whether it's natural mm-hmm. or human made. Because so far back, when they before they started uh, keeping the records, that the records you're keeping now, uh, 
you're, you have, they did have a lot of climate change. They had the global changes and uh, were impacting. That's why the globe became what it did, is those changes along the way. We either had a volcano or something was always changing. Ice, uh, there was an ice age. Uh, there were changes going on. I want to ask you, before I forget, because I had it in my mind when you were talking, and uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but what is the influence of the dark matter that the, that the CERN group has talked about out of Switzerland, about the dark, dark matter that's above our, and our atmosphere, that they haven't really determined what its purpose is yet? What do you think influences what its influence is? Well, you know that, that that's something that I really haven't looked at. I haven't studied, so I'm I'm not sure. Uh, now, if these are these are the folks that are describing it, and they don't think it's had an influence on on the changing climate. Uh, they're they're a lot closer to it than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm more connected with with uh, yeah. decision makers. Well, they, and, they, and they, they even admit it. They don't understand it yet. With that right. dark matter that's above, which they say is 75 percent of the influence on our. And, and our atmospheric system, uh, and I probably didn't say that the way you would say it. But can you explain to our audience what dark, what what the description of dark matter, what what they what they've said? Um, I, I haven't read it. That? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't read. It. I haven't had okay. a chance to look okay. at it. But I will say this: that either side of the the debate that you look at, that there there are people that are are saying things to that. They really believe in, and for instance, there, there are scientists in the United States that believe that the humans on the planet have no influence on climate change. And one of those scientists said about the storm in the Philippines that uh, blaming that storm on, on global warming is a quick and easy answer to the question, why did this happen? And, and he went on to say that, unfortunately, it's the wrong answer. Well, I don't agree with that. How does he know that's the wrong answer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have the data. We don't have the data to say that it is because of global warming, but he doesn't have the data to say that it's not because of global warming. So we're still mm-hmm. putting these data sets together and trying to understand globally what are driving these changes. And those really are the big questions and the kinds of, and we've talked about this many, many times before, we aren't putting our heads together to think about what kinds of observational networks we need around the world, whether it's mm-hmm. satellites or airborne uh, flying in planes or if it's on the ground or if it's handheld uh, early warning health systems, whatever kind of observational network. We're not putting a lot of thought into how we tie all those together and try to get the data that, that we need to understand if we are making those impacts, because you know, if we just assume that, that global warming is caused by humans and we do things like carbon capture and we change our laws and we change our economic systems, we might be wrong. And so before we make those kinds of decisions, I think we need to, put, to, well, to build gonna, observational I'm, networks that address the I'm going the to questions. mention one thing that they were wrong on, I truly believe, Dr. Caesar is when they said because of our environment and um, and the, the environmentalists said at one time, we need to insulate windows and walls and have forced air, and then we had forced air, air conditioning and heating. I believe truly, after all of my studies, that became an impact on human health. You have to live indoors with, with moisture in the air. If that snuffs all the moisture out of the air, and the freshness that comes in through 
the ability for the life inside of a building to breathe, but you take it out, you take all that moisture and change it because it has insulated insulation and then windows and walls. That was a decision. I think that they went too too uh, too far to uh, before they really studied it. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's an impact on human health today. They often wonder why is it so many diseases? Why are we having so many problems? Where where do most people live? Most of their time is indoors. Yeah, no, I and I, I agree with you. And I would, I would add to that. I, I, I'm just, I could not believe the decision. Now, back to our, 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 in research, it always surprises me, doctor, why as somebody in research would say, this is what I believe it is. Because like you just said, in, in all fairness, when you're studying in the petri dish of, of research, you should always be open-minded at all times. Well, and I think, I think most scientists that I've had the great fortunate fortune to work with or alongside or to look at their work throughout my career have that approach to their work but it's become again back to climate change and global warming has become so politicized in the United States that these researchers who have devoted their life to trying to understand these processes and they mm-hmm. they feel like they have some answers in this data no one's listening so people become very very focused on the arguments of of either for or against climate change and global warming rather than trying to understand if we can't be 100% sure, what kind of observations and what kind of data do we need to collect as a community so we can start answering those questions. They're more focused on defending their research, defending their funding, uh, defending their findings. And and it, it really, to me, the focus on just what you talked about, there's certain things that we can do globally to change lifestyles that that really won't take away from the kind of life we live as Americans, won't impinge on us, but can improve the life of of everyone on the planet. And we just we seem to have struggles with with doing that. And as more as the population grows more and more, and and the poor population of the world is really the the, the vulnerable. Um, populations that these kinds of extreme events affect the most. And, yes, and so it's the impact exactly and it's it's the impacts from these extreme weather events mm-hmm. that are growing, I believe, in intensity and in cost. And when you correct everything for, for dollar amounts, even when you correct for a storm uh that, that hits somewhere today compared to a storm that hit thirty years ago with the same intensity when you adjust for inflation and dollar amounts, the storms now, the impacts are much greater. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's more and more in the way of these storms in terms of, of the human communities. And now we're back to ground one. When we started out the show, we were talking about fresh water. Those storms affect the water system, the sewage system, the air, everything around it. Uh, for, for how long, do you think? Uh, would it be two years? How long would it take for them to get back to uh, a healthier lifestyle with fresh water, sewage, and the air around them, their life around them, after a storm comes in like that? Well, you know, it depends. It, uh, there, there are some parts in New Orleans that, that have not been rebuilt or have not been reclaimed or have not been mm-hmm. reconditioned since Katrina in 2005. And, you know, in, in, in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, they're still... And there are people that have never returned to that city. 
Mm-hmm. So how long the impacts, the effects, of the impacts? It really, it, it's just it varies. Depends on the storm. Depends on where you're talking about. And I've, I've talked before in this this program about a Russian hydrologic or water scientist who published a book in the 1970s on on availability of water resources on on the planet. And he looked at the turnover rate of groundwater systems and the average turnover rate globally for groundwater systems is on the order of 330 years. That means if if a storm or if a pollution event or whatever it is impacts a groundwater system and we don't do anything to try to improve it and just let nature improve it, it's 300 years. Mm-hmm. For that groundwater okay. system to That's turn over. That's what I was after. That's what I was after. So as as we lose the polar ice caps, which are, mm-hmm. um, and glaciers, which are one of the sources of fresh water on this planet, as saltwater intrusion because of rising sea levels starts to take over near the coastlines where 60% of the world's population live, mm-hmm. as saltwater starts to intrude on the fresh water under the mm-hmm. ground in the groundwater. The freshwater supplies that are available to a growing population are dwindling. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I'm back to the air that we're living in that is such an impact on human health and that invisible water there. And I go over to China and think about what is happening to their, their obstacles that are happening to their horrible crisis of the pollution and that water vapor being contaminated and then it hits the cloud system and carries out over to the influence of soil, water, oceans, and other neighboring countries. Um, and I don't know what they can do about it uh, because they're they're an industrialized nation. And on on top of all that, Sharon, what I'm what I'm concerned about is they were one of the nations, large nation, four t- the population is four times the, the population in the United States, or more than four times the population in the United States. And think about that. Where you live right now in Grants Pass, Oregon, think of what Grants Pass would be like if your population was four to five times what it is now, just in your own town. And so everything you just said about what, what they're dealing with in, in the atmosphere and, and air pollution and mm-hmm. and they're putting a new coal-fired power plant to produce electrical power online every week. A new one goes online. I just read last week that they had some controls in place to try to control that population growth. They're taking them off. Yes, they are. They're taking yes, I read that too, yes, last week. Yeah. On top of everything else, they're taking their taking that off. So mm-hmm. there's there's lots of things that, that we could be doing that, again, wouldn't change your lifestyle Well, you and much. I have talked about it, and then our time is over, but uh, you and I have discussed that there needs to be, and I like the way you worded it, a series of research and discussions going on throughout the world on how do we learn to adapt while other scientists and other researchers are trying to figure out the problems, but how do we educate the human Society, how to adapt where they're at, where they're, how to live. So they're on the Health Olympics. They're training to be healthier with with where they're living. That needs education. Uh, and uh, th- that's where I've, I've been a believer of health education. And people are craving, it's like you and I exchanging notes today and having a classroom here for people to be educated and be reminded and, and to be influenced on maybe some new new ideas. Uh, to adapt, and that's what we're saying. We need to adapt. 
But I want to thank you again for being with us. Uh, my gosh, my ears were just full. Uh, you're full of information, and uh, I just hope that, gosh, people find the budgets to pass that are keeping up because the weather data seems to be having more of an influence on our uh, de- uh, devastation on Earth than even uh, th- than we were talking about lack of oil or anything else. But I want to thank you for coming on today, and you have a nice day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, did you learn a lot? I learned a lot. And remember, we humans have a lot of influence on the earth besides just our knowledge. How you live, how healthy you are is vital. And be sure and drink 8 to 10 glasses of water a day because that will help you be a healthier person as a healthier influence to the earth. You add that moisture to earth with the way you're drinking your water. I want to thank you for listening today. Embrace your life, but also embrace somebody else's. But like I said, Earth is whispering to us all every day with that whisper. Don't take anything with you. Leave it behind. That's how special it is. I want to thank you for listening. You have a nice day, and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.